that are here and you're visiting, we're going over what preaching is supposed to be, and I'm just giving you some things right out of the passage uh, that the Apostle Paul talks about. We left off this morning. I'm going to back it up if I can, please, if you back it up there to verse number 10. The Bible says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know, and how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto the kingdom and glory. I'm going to try to get to this verse here, 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you, look at it, that what? Believe. Brother Ernie, you pray. Ask the Lord to help us, would you please? Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. I want you to just notice this quickly. I mentioned to you this morning about a father. Notice that he exhorts and comforts as well as charges. Uh, to exhort is to stir them up and uh, those kind of things. To comfort is to take care of somebody that happens to have a need. And then to charge is to give them a responsibility. And sometimes preaching is supposed to tell you what your responsibility is to God and to other people. It's not intended to put you in bondage or intended to weigh you down, but it is to kind of let you know the rules of engagement. Now, many people come to uh, Christianity nowadays and they get saved and they truly get saved. They don't know anything about the Christian life, the Christian walk. They don't know anything about the Christian talk. They think being a Christian means I don't smoke, drink, cuss and chew and I go to church on Sunday. Some of them think being a Christian means I go to Mass on Sunday. Some of them think being a Christian means I got baptized and I go to church when I don't have anything else to do. You have to be careful when you're dealing with other people as a father to make sure the instructions are clear. There's nothing worse than for somebody to be dealing with an individual. If you're dealing with your child and you're saying, go out there and cut the grass and the kid's out there and the only thing he knows to cut with is a knife or a butcher knife and a pair of scissors. And so he's laying out there in the yard and he's trying to cut the grass. Well, he's cutting the grass. But to expect him to know how to cut the grass and not explain to him the type tools to be able to utilize, you're being unfair. Then you go out there to him and you kick him in the head because he doesn't have any better sense than to cut the grass with a pair of scissors. You say, preacher, that's a silly illustration. No, sometimes the father has to accept the responsibility that maybe I didn't explain myself that what's necessary to tell somebody, but then I expect them to know how to do it when I haven't properly told them how to do it. So when he talks about being a father and talking about charging them, that's to understand the responsibility. Can I say this too? It's not just instructional. It's to understand the weight that goes along with what it means to be called a Christian. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. 
There's a responsibility. Matter of fact, when you come to the next verse back there, he's talking about how holily uh, that he lived and, and those kind of things, meaning he lived a clean life. But look down there in verse number 12, what he says to you. He said that you would walk worthy of God. Why is that important? Christians that just get saved, individuals that just get saved, and they're becoming Christians in the sense of learning about a disciplined life, they don't understand what it is to walk worthy. As a matter of fact, somebody that just gets saved, you know what will happen? They'll spend a lot of time talking about their past life. Romans 14 says, uh, let not your good be evil spoken of. You know, one of the greatest ways that you can ruin your testimony, to talk about everything you used to do. Listen, one of the most difficult things I try to convince Christians about, I don't care if you've been through a divorce, I don't care if you've been uh, in prison, I don't care if you've done things that were unspeakable or you did bad things when you were in school and all that, you shouldn't traffic in that trash. That's, that's evil speaking. You do know and understand that evil communications corrupt good manners, right? Well, okay, you did some things. Can I say this to you? If you're a father, don't tell your son the shenanigans you did when you were his age. Okay, I realize that you did some things that you wish you hadn't have done, but the second you say that, you know what's going to happen? That thing's going to be a boomerang, and it's going to come back and say, Well, Daddy, you did it. I've told you the illustration before, but it bears repeating about the kid at a big meeting where I was at, and I went back there to go to the bathroom, and I'm back there, and I hear a kid crying, and I'm waiting for him to come out. I thought he was pretty distressed, and I caught him as he came out, and I said, hey, man, you doing okay? Washing my paws at the sink there, and I looked up at him, and I've got a towel, and I'm running my hands off, and he's got tears just, he ain't even wiping them off, man. He's got snot coming down, tears coming down. At that time, he's about 13, 14 years old. He's such a young teenager. And I said, man, what in the world's wrong with you? He said, I wish my daddy would quit telling everybody he was a con in prison. I never forgot that. You say, well, you know, the guy's just a testimony of God's grace. Yeah, but look at the impact on his own kids. Wouldn't that be a blessing to you to grow up and be saying to yourself, you know, yeah, my dad was in prison. Man, as the old preacher used to say, what a thing. Why do you, why you have to tell somebody that kind of stuff? It doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't move the ball down the field. And to be honest with you, it's really not that much more of a testimony of God's grace except say, I came from some bad things and did some bad things and thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's nobody that's ever lived a perfect life. One of the worst things in the world is, is that you can't get past your own past. Stop talking about it. I'm saying that to you as a father. Shut your mouth. Yeah, if you messed up, fess up to the Lord. Fess up to whoever you did wrong. And get up and move on. Press forward, Paul said, toward the mark and the high calling of God. Let that stuff go. Some of you have the most difficult thing in the world. You, get, you beat yourself down. You don't have to worry about the world beating you down. You beat yourself down because back in the day you did something stupid or crazy or you made a big mistake and you did something that you think nobody can forgive you and you've been around the brethren too much that are trying to tell you that every sin they're not committing is the unpardonable sin. It's the ones they're not doing. Those are the things that are unpardonable to you. Ladies and gentlemen, in spite of the world in which you live, which is trying to force you to make your entire life an open book, there's some chapters that ought to be closed and stapled shut. I used to tell a dear friend of mine that talking to uh, the person on a regular basis, I said, from now on that stuff's in Pandora's box. You put a lock on it, hasp on it, and lock it down and throw it in the depths of the sea and don't open it up anymore. We're done with that. Well, I know, but it's difficult. No, lock it away. Yeah. 
You've confessed it. Now move on. You want to ruin a good marriage? I'll tell you how you ruin a good marriage. You'll bring into your marriage things that uh, happened to you in a previous relationship. I see a lot of heads nodding. I must be on something there. You say, what are you doing? Uh, you're bringing that person in there. And now you're making comparisons whether you intend to or not. And you know what it'll do? It'll ruin a good thing. Don't tell everybody everything. Well, preacher, don't you think... Listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen. I'm probably going to get on some eggshells here. It's not, it's not good for you to just have a, a full disclosure about everything before you know your spouse. Just in the interest of being truthful with you, well, I don't, I don't know that that's a good thing. Well, you know, it's about honesty. It's about honesty from the point you meet her to from then on. Amen. And if, you, if your wife is that interested in your past or your husband's that interested in your past, you might want to pump the brakes a little bit. Amen. You say, why? You might learn some things you wish you didn't know. Now, some of you are upset by that. You're thinking, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, you let the Lord be your God with that. But sometimes, you know what will happen? That stuff comes out and that stuff will wind up being used against you for the rest of your life. You remind me of the Miranda warning. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a, in a family fight. I mean, a court of law. They're one of the same, aren't they? Uh, some of you, you did some pretty rough things before you met the one you're with now, didn't you? You think that's going to move the ball down the field if you just... Let them know. You, you think then when all of a sudden you have an argument with her that she's not right. running her mind back over where you were and what you used to be? Yeah. Come on. Amen. You think if you had a problem with alcohol before and you used to stop by the club on the way that all of a sudden you're not coming home all the time? You think she's not thinking, I wonder if he's doing that again? I'm trying to help you. Yes, sir. Listen, as a father, as a mother, I'll go ahead and put that in there. Sister and... Cistern, brethren and cistern, whatever. But but for I I'm going to put this in for mamas. Uh, listen, ma'am, before you got saved, maybe you didn't live the life at the foot of the cross. Yeah. And maybe you did do some things that, when you were a kid, you wished you hadn't done. Yeah. Right. It doesn't do anybody any good at all for them to know that side of your life. I hate to tell you this, and I wish it wasn't so, but you know the one thing they won't ever forget? That. I don't care if you live at the foot of the cross and been living at the foot of the cross for 30 years. They'll remember, yeah, back in high school in 1972. You say, what's the best thing to do? Don't tell them. Don't tell them. You say, well, my wife demands that or my husband demands Okay, you work it out on your own. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just simply saying to you, when it comes to your kids, could you do yourself a favor? We stopped a long time ago. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I wouldn't recommend the younger guys say this, but I'm going to say this. We stopped a long time ago having a crew of individuals come up here and pray in front of you and talk about all the dope they did and all the other stuff they did and so on and so forth, and then to tell you, but then I got saved kind of thing. 90% of the testimony is stuff that you'd see on TV on a soap opera. And all that does is feed your flesh. Now, I don't know about you. That stuff ain't good for me. You've got to remember what I used to do. I've seen plenty. I don't need nobody stirring that up. 
I have a hard enough time trying to keep silt off the bottom, right? I don't want to be flipping my flippers too fast, and next thing you know, I can't see where I'm going. I'm trying to help you, parent. Don't, don't try so hard to relate to your kid that you tell them, you know, when I was your age, you know, before I met your daddy. You know, when I was in college... How about getting you some twine and a needle and sew your mouth shut? Amen. You know, don't talk about what, a, what an OG you were in the day. Y'all know what that is, right? <laughs> you know what it is now? It's old goat. That's what it is now. <laughs> Does that make any sense at all? Is that like too plain? I met an old saint one time, man, and I'm sitting there at the table. It's in uh, Mount Airy, North Carolina. And we're sitting across over there, and I'm having a biscuit and some chicken and some other stuff there. And he comes and he sits down across the table. And I stood up when he came there. He's an older guy. He's been around a long time. I had respect for him. And he said, oh, keep your seat, keep your seat, you know, and all that. I said, yes, sir, well, sir, good blessing to have you here, and so on and so forth. And he said, yeah, you're that policeman that preaches? And I said, yes, sir. And I said, a pleasure to meet you. I asked him a couple of questions. And he rattled off a couple of things about stuff I knew nothing about, as if I already knew about it, and said a couple of things like that. And I thought, I wish you hadn't said that. Now, I'm going to tell you, the problem wasn't his, is mine. Because then every time I saw him and he got up to preach that night, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking about what he told me he did when he was 20 years old. I remember a guy telling this story. He told it to the old preacher one time. And I guess it's a true story. I don't think he'd make that uh, statement if it wasn't true. I, I think it's true. He said uh, he, said he was uh, going to church and he said he got to know the preacher pretty well. And he said the preacher told one of the filthiest jokes he'd ever heard in all his life. And he said he left the church that day and he said he hadn't been back. And the old preacher came to preach and he was on up in age there. He's in his uh, late 70s. And he said, I came to hear you just because of your age. And he said, I, you got up there and I uh, got to preaching and all that. And the guy, well, he preached that sermon about the baby. Uh, what was that thing called? The worst thing that, can, what's that one? The worst thing that happened to you? The, you turn the baby into the old man and reject and reject and reject. And he said, uh, that was me. You drawing up there. He said, after that preacher said what he said, he said, I hadn't been back in church until tonight. And he said, I realized tonight when you drew that, I was real close. He said, but I have missed church for 40 years. Because of what that preacher did. Walk worthy. Nowadays, the pressure on you is to walk too close to the line and to be compatible and to get along. No. You don't do that if it causes you to do what they call, do you understand, dip the colors? Yes. And you, you understand that? That's a military term. That's for you put the flag in the dirt. That's dipping the colors. You compromise. I'm not talking about standards. I'm talking about a way of life. There's certain things that you're a sinner. Okay, me too. Well, what did you do? I don't want to know. Tell him. Don't tell me. I couldn't be a preacher in a, or a, a, a priest in a box. Have you come in and sit down there across the box from me with a little, you know, little sheet there thing in front of you? 
and then have you tell me everything you're struggling and then see you sitting in the front row? Man, I think that young is pure as a driven snow, man. I think if you look up who's living at the foot of the cross, and Tracy be right there. You say, well, you shouldn't think that way. Well, why not? Why shouldn't I give her the benefit of the doubt? Why do I need to know anything except what she is now? Folks, it'll change you. I wish I could drive this point like a nail. The stuff that you're doing where you're letting out all this stuff about your private life, it's dangerous stuff. And I know you feel pressure to try to relate, but there's got to be a line. And you know what that line needs to be? It's like, okay, Lord, I get it. I understand. I get where you're at. Look at verse 13. Paul's going to give you the, the way to think about this thing. He said, uh, he talks about the Word of God here. Let me, let me cover this thing here uh, before I do that. Take your Bible and come to Romans. Uh, uh, let's see, do I want to go to Romans? Yeah, Romans 16. Let me give you some relief, okay? You don't have to be around people like that. Now, if you've done it, somebody printed me out a thing where I was a few weeks ago and printed me out a thing, and it was a testimony. And the first three or four paragraphs that was in that testimony that somebody put up on Facebook, the first three or four paragraphs of that thing was like reading a spy novel or something. It just... If you clipped off the last part being saved, you'd think you were reading a Harlequin romance novel. And this person posted it and quote, in the name of Jesus and read that. And then they said, well, what do you think about that preacher? The guy's going to come to hear you to preach tonight. And I said, well, I guess I'd have to tell you I'm glad I got to finish the article because if I just read the first three or four Romans 16, if I just got to read the first three or four uh, paragraphs of the thing, I'd already have a an idea about the guy. What he had been to jail for and all that other stuff's in there. And I'm thinking, why you got to tell everybody that? Unless it's certain, certain crimes that you know what I'm talking about. But I'm saying, what benefit is that? You remember the story I told you about the boy in Alabama? Just an old country boy, redneck boy. I mean, as red as it comes. And he got messed up and done some things he shouldn't do and, and got cattywampus and stuff and a couple of DUIs and some drug stuff and all that other. And he wound up going to prison for a little while. And then he got out of prison and he got messed up and he got on uh, uh, AA, the Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12, what is it, 12 steps now, I guess, or 13, whatever the number is. I'm not making fun of it. I just don't remember. At any rate, and he got in all that kind of a deal, and he was sitting right down on the front row, and a little boy sitting there next to him. And preacher, we've heard this before. Well, let me tell the people that haven't heard it. And I walked by, and I introduced him. At the time, I was still a policeman, and I came by there, and I said, you know, and the preacher started laughing. And I said, man, what's so funny? And he said, the cop and the con. He goes, I need one more C, and, and I'll have it. After this is over, I thought, I can give you one more C, the child. There's a boy sitting right over there by him, and he said, yeah, man, he's our resident drug addict. He's tatted up. I mean, you could tell he'd had a rough life, man. I mean, he'd been out there in the world and stuff like that. Which don't bother me at all, man. To me, it takes more courage. It's hard for that prodigal to come home. And it's hard for that prodigal to stay home once he gets here. 
you say, why everybody's, where, where you been? What you been doing? Where'd you get them stains from? And all that kind of a deal. It didn't bother me at all. I thought it was courage. He's sitting down on the front row. And uh, he said, you know, this is really funny. Boy, there really be something. Get me another C, man. I'll have me a, get me a poem. Boy, I got me three points at a poem, preacher. <laughs> you know, like that. Man, I've never been so embarrassed in all my life, man. And I knelt down there next to that fellow and I said, Hey, man, I'm sorry about all that. As a matter of fact, the, 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 his, uh, the, the uh, tattoos he had on his hands, they looked like bones on the top of his hands. He had them all painted up. On, he couldn't cover it up unless he wore gloves, you know. And he stuck his hand out there, shaking and trembling a little bit. And I took his hand there and I said, Hey, man, I'm sorry about that. I apologize. I have no idea where that came from. I said, I'd like to ask you a question if I could. And he said, Yes, sir, whatever. And I said, not a smart aleck at all. And I said, uh, how, how, long you, how long you been out? How long you been clean? And he said, I just passed 10 years. I said, no kidding, man. That's a milestone. He said, yeah, it ain't what I am anymore, preacher. He said, but you know these people around here in Alabama? They only remember what you used to be. They don't ever remember what you are now. And I said, how old's your boy? He said, just turn nine. Did you make the connection? That jack, uh, that, that, that uh, donkey of a preacher? You know what he just did? Daddy? What's he talking about, drug addict? I said, covertly to him, I said, so your boy, he said, preacher... If these people down here keep their mouth shut, he'd never know I'd ever been there before. Amen. He said, my boy was born after I got out. Amen. He said, I ain't touched a drop or used anything. That boy right there turned my life around. Let not your good be evil spoken on. And that including you speaking evil of somebody else's bad. Don't traffic in that evil communication. It corrupts good manners. This passage here, the Apostle Paul is going to give you the liberty that you don't have to be around people that do that, including doctrinally wrong people. You don't have to be a jerk. Look in Romans chapter number 16. Look in verse number 17. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the what? That's what part of church is. To teach you doctrine. That's your parameters. That's your foundation. That's what you build on. Those are unmovable things. According to the doctrine which ye have learned and do what? No, it must be argue with them. Fight with them. Throw biscuits at them at the table. You know what it says? Leave them alone. Notice why verse 18, For they are such that serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. You know what he just said to you? He just said the law of gravity applies, and the best thing for you to do when you're around people that don't have the right doctrine <coughs> is not to try to correct them, stay away from them, because they're going to pull you down. You're not going to pull them up. Witness to them. Tell them, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And then let God work on them. If you and I could learn this lesson, and it's a difficult thing, our job is to tell them. It's God's job to close the deal and God's job to deal with them and however and whatever message is preached, the time they show up and all that, that's between them and God. It's not you. And if you could learn, it's your job is to tell them. 
And when you're done, if he shuts the deal, he shut, or closes the deal, then he closes the deal. You don't lead them anywhere except to the Lord, and then the Lord's the one that puts the finishing touches on it. You don't get credit for it anyway. He's just using a vessel. I told you this morning. It's like that lady that had that green uh, vessel. Take your Bible and come, if you will, please, over to Ephesians 4. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, that lady I told you that was up there in uh, the mountains up there in uh, Mount Airy. We used to go up there every year. For years we went up there every year. We had good meetings up there and stuff. Brother Jim and I used to preach up there some. I sure do miss that old boy some. But at any rate, come to Ephesians chapter number uh, C4. You remember that story I told you about that lady who had that green vase? And she said, how many of you remember? Anybody don't remember that? There's a couple that don't, so I have to tell a story now. <laughs> here's a quick, here's a short story of that. She had one of these green uh, uh, vases. You put a candle down in it, you know, and the light shines to it, and it brought it out at Christmas time. And she came up to me there, and we're talking at the back side of the thing. They're cooking hamburgers over here right as you go out. If you remember, you go out the back door by the gymnatorium there right for the cemetery. And we're standing out there talking. And this little old bitty lady, she's up there saying, you know, well, you know, we got up there and this bunch of, this bunch of hooligans got running around in there. And they knocked that vase off and busted it all to pieces. And I said, boy, that's a, that's a terrible thing. I was trying to get on out to the car. And she said, I ain't done yet. I said, oh, okay, yes, ma'am, you know. And so she says, and Jed, Lord, Lord bless his soul. He tried best he could. He tried all the things he could. He tried to put that thing back together. He, that thing never did look right, she said. She said it was all messed up and all had glue all over it and different things like that. And she said, but the next year, it was a tradition, you know, I got that out and I put the candle down in there. And she said, you know, the strangest thing happened. She said, we lit that candle off, like she's lighting fireworks, you know. We lit that candle off and she said, boy, you wouldn't have believed all the stuff shining on the walls and everything. She said, look like diamonds, all that stuff. And I said, reckon what it was. She said, everywhere that glass had been cracked and broken and put back together. She said, it made the prettiest shining on that wall. She said, I wish we'd have busted it earlier. Sometimes God shines better through broken vessels. It's easier to see the light. God's not interested in breaking you, but He sure appreciates it when you're broke. You pray like that song this morning and say, Lord, whatever it takes. It's not praying, Lord, go ahead and bust me. It's being willing to be busted. It's not I'm going to throw myself down like you're going to beat yourself. It's that when that stuff comes your way, you don't complain about it. Since this time last year, do you take persecution better than you used to? Do you take suffering better than you used to? Do you take somebody lying about you or abusing you better than you used to? I thought you were growing. You take the abuse better than you used to? Some of you, the devil's on you right now, ain't they? Ain't he? Some of it's because of your affiliations. You're part of this place. You're part of what comes out of this pulpit. There's not a week probably goes by. Brother Sam could testify to it. And I don't want him to lie about it. There's probably not a week goes by that we don't get an email from somewhere in the entire world thanking us for the people that are up here in the box and saying, you know, appreciate you putting that stuff out. 
And you're a part of that. You foot the bill for that. You're footing the bill for that. You say, why? That's your way of trying to reach people. But with that, guess what happens? You turn the guns off of me and turn them on you. Been on you last few weeks, hasn't it? Well, you've got to make a little bit of connection. You've been sitting right there on your blessed assurance with your dear wife sitting by you long enough now. You become a permanent fixture here. Well, guess what? The devil just decided he's going to start picking on you. Get up here and sing a song about Jesus. How dare you? You don't think the devil's looking at the devil's like, okay, I got something for you in the morning. You take persecution better than you used to? I mean, you want to be that broken vessel, don't you? That reputation's as hard as granite. Ain't it? It's rough. Sometimes the Lord's got to get out more than a sledgehammer. Sometimes it's a air hammer. You ever been on the receiving end of one of them? I mean, on the working end of one of them things? I'm talking about the one hooked up to the big compressor. I mean, the day you think you've really got things together, you go out there and hit one of these boys on the side of the street and say, let me have that thing. And you go ahead and grab a hold of it like this with a big old chisel on the end of it about that long, locked in, and you get it ready to go, and then... That'll cure you from sucking eggs, boy. You better not have your tongue sticking out of your mouth. You'll literally bite your tongue off. And the next thing you know, you're watching the guy out there going, brrrat, 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 brrrat. And you're thinking, I can do that. And you go, And they're over there unplugging the thing to try to get you to turn. Because now you can't turn it loose. It's like some of you, first time you went skiing, you grabbed a hold of the rope, skis are done off, and they're dragging you all over the place about to drown you. Well, I didn't turn loose of the rope. Hey, that ain't the point is to get up on top of the water, not get under the water. Sometimes it takes that air hammer, don't it? I mean, sometimes he comes in there and drills a few holes in there about yay deep. Puts about a quarter stick of dynamite down in there. See, some things are too hard for the jackhammer to break. So he drills a hole and he puts a stick of dynamite down in there and he lights that thing off. And when it goes off, now you've got pieces you can start picking up. That's some of us, right? The Bible says our hearts are like an adamant stone sometimes. Isn't that true? Yes. Our problem, ladies and gentlemen, is not necessarily a wicked heart, desperately and deceitful above all things, and who can know it? Ours is a hard heart. Amen. Cold and hard, boy. Amen. The Lord wants to get in there and to do something with it, and we're just like, Lord, you ain't getting in that dark room. That's, it. That's, it. That's my secret room. Look, if you will, please, in reference to this thing about not having to be around everybody, I'm not going to make verse 13. I've already run past my time. But I want you to see this thing right here. Look in Ephesians chapter number 4. Come down to verse number 14. Give you a little bit of relief. That we henceforth, I'm sorry, 13. Till we come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Why? That we, be no, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait, lie in wait to deceive. 
You know what he just said? I got to pay attention to doctrinal things so I don't get carried away with the wrong things. Well, that must mean that there's something that's right. Amen. You heard Brother Greg testifying to it, and all I'll do is put a little curl on that tail, and that is, your Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if you get the truth rightly divided, it means you're right, and anybody that goes contrary to that, the Lord just says, don't be carried away with that stuff. Don't get carried away with this stuff going on about the Revelation 12 prophecy. About the uh, Aquarius and uh, the age of Aquarius and about the woman that's clothed and the moon coming through and passing through the birth canal and the solar system is saying that this is a Shemitah and a blood moon and this is when it's going to occur. When the doctrine. I don't need all that stuff. I mean, that's the tribulation. I'm not going to be here for that. The church ain't even in that passage. That's Israel. That has anything to do with you. But you get watching that and you get to thinking, well, maybe that's it. And the next thing you know, it gets tied to a date in September. and This is going to be it because this unusual thing's never happened. I know you watch the stuff. I know you look at it. I'm not getting on to you. But if you're not careful, you get carried away with that stuff. Amen. You say, what is it? That don't put you under conviction. That doesn't draw you closer to Jesus. All it does is make your head so big, you've got to open both doors to get out. And you listen to that and then guess what happens? Well, if the guy was right, we were supposed to be gone September the 23rd last year. Now why are you still listening? Now it's a new thing. Guessing. Shooting in the dark. You don't need to be carried away with that stuff. Well, preacher, I wish you'd preach on that stuff a little bit more often. Well, as soon as you get the stuff I am preaching, we'll move on to something else. I'm trying to help you with the judgment seat of Christ. He'll reveal all that stuff to you later on. All that way out stuff and all that. I mean, that's, that's fun stuff to look at. But it doesn't help your personal relationship. Sometimes you need uh, the Father to come along and say, well, we'll talk about that later, boy, but for right now. Ephesians chapter 5. Look, if you will, at that. Ephesians 5. Pick it up in verse number, uh, let's see, 6. Let no man deceive you with what kind of words? Those words right there are words that appeal to you and your vanity. Vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye therefore partakers with them. I was just seeing if you're reading your Bible. Is there a word I lift in there? The little three letter word. Be not ye partakers with them. He don't say go fix them. He said don't mess around with them. Don't partake with them. Let me show you another one here. Look if you will please in 2 Corinthians 11. Now the rest of you to get this one. We'll quit on this one, alright? 2 Corinthians 11. Is this helping you at all? I hate to bore you on a, on a Sunday night. I like Sunday night. I don't want to mess it up. I get to speak to some of you on Sunday night. In Corinthians 11, I don't get to speak to during the day. Rain joined our church last week. She was at church this morning. I didn't get a chance to say hello. And I got to speak to her tonight. She's, uh, she's here, but I said, Sister, it's good to see you. I could, she said, well, you were busy this morning. That's okay. <laughs> well, that's real kind of her, but I like to say hello to folks, don't you? That's Sunday night. You know what I'd like to see you do on Sunday night? Talk to somebody outside your clique. I mean your clan. I, I mean, I mean. <laughs> I, 
I mean, I, 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 folks, these are your brothers and sisters. Amen. And some of the people in here you don't like, you know why? You don't know them. And they don't know you. If they did, they'd probably feel the same way about you you feel about them. But I used to hear people talk about the old preacher all the time. And I asked one guy, he got pretty sideways and sitting at the table and I'm sitting there doing my best and I'm biting my tongue and biting my lip and I'm, I'm getting kind of hot under the collar. And I finally just said, I said, could I ask you a question if I could please? Yeah, sure, he said. Smarty britches. And, and I said, um, you know, you have a lot to say about that fellow. I said, did you, you ever know him personally? I read everything he's got. I said, I didn't ask you that. I said, you ever know him personally? And he goes, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, have you had a phone conversation with him? Right. He said, well, no, sir. I said, well, you must have, the way you're talking about him, you must have had a personal conversation with him then. And he said, no, I've never, never had. I wouldn't even shake his hand. I said, well, then you maybe you shot him an email. I said, never mind, he wouldn't have got that. Uh, I said, could I ask you a question? You ever written him a letter? He said, no. I said, how is it you know so much about him and you never met him? You just believe in what other people said about him? I said, I'd be willing to bet you right now I could walk around this meeting and I'd be willing to bet you I could find at least five people around here that know things about you that if I make that my decision on what I think about you based on those five people, I bet you I wouldn't be thinking about you like you'd want me to. I said, I have to believe the testimony of five individuals that claim to know you. How do I know how well they knew you? How do I know what information? How do I know they're not bitter, they're not angry? You know what you have to learn, ladies and gentlemen? Just because you see somebody on the other side of the building and they're a little bit standoffish and stuff like that, you don't know what's in their saddlebags. You don't have no idea what's going on. They might be as nice as pie if you just give them a chance. If they're not, at least you tried. I don't like them. Well, who are you to even decide who you like and don't? Amen. Maybe you should just, you know, Sunday night, maybe we ought to have, you know, um, you know a, a mix-up, what they used to call it, a dust-up. Maybe we should just swap sides with everybody. You know, you go over here, and you come over here, and you come over here, and let you see the preaching from a different perspective. I know Baptists, you get locked in on your seat. <laughs> that is your seat for life. You don't surrender that seat till you die. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Some of you getting a little squishy. You're thinking, oh, he's going to move me out of my chair, man. I don't know, man. Preacher, I got a bad eye. I got to sit on this side. So I can see. I got to see how I'm a good eye. You know, preacher, my ears, right? This and that and the other. Preacher, I got a crick in my neck, you know, like that now. You know, I, I can't be sitting over like that now. You know, I got to sit on the end, preacher. Got to sit on the end. Uh, I got to be able to get out of here. <laughs> Come sit on the front. You know I'm telling the truth. Don't worry, I'm not going to test your spirituality. In that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, look in verse 13. Give the folks a break, man. These are your brothers and sisters. They'll be with you down in the foxhole when we get shot at. Some of these kids, you know what, some of you old people in the right way, don't, don't be hugging these girls, these young girls. Don't be stupid. But, it, but bless you, whoever that was, but, but listen to me. Some of these kids, if you would just walk up and say hello to them, man, they'd think they'd died and gone to heaven. They respect some of you old people. 
Some of you old ducks in here, man, you've been around a long time. you got a lot of snow on the roof. If you got any snow at all. <laughs> I know you got a shed built over your shoes, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but, but you know what they appreciate? Appreciate you saying hello to them. There shouldn't just be one or two people going around saying hello. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, you work in the crowd, one preacher said, you know. You over there work in the crowd. I watch you on the YouTube. You over there work in the crowd. I said, work in the crowd? What are you talking about? How do you even get that thought? I said, I've known these people, some of them 25 and 30 years, man. How's that work in the crowd? I know what it is. He's the chief potentate and he's in church. Now you, you can come bow down at his feet. It's like he's eyeballing, like he's a hawk getting ready to eat a rat, man. We ain't got none of them chairs here. Them big old high dollar chairs with high-headed people sitting in them. Why do you need a chair that high anyway? Got a big old giant back on the thing? I guess so your crown will fit on top of your head or something. Why you got that stuff up there? Just elevate you. We don't have that. We got these. They're pretty comfortable. I thought about sometimes I preach so long, maybe I should sit down a while, you know. Just, but, 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 but can I just ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen? It doesn't hurt to be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Amen. He that have a friend must show himself friendly. Amen. We got some good people here. Amen. I say that without apology. Amen. They're not always perfect. They can be a hemorrhoid just like you can. Amen. Every now and then, every one of us burn an itch a little every now and then, turn red for no good reason. We want some special attention. Oh, he done gone to truthin' now. <laughs> well, I mean, every now and then, come on, boys, you get a little feeling bad. Big old six foot six bull and 240 pounds, and you get the sniffles, and, you know, I got fever. 99.4. <laughs> I think I'm going to die. <laughs> come here, baby. You want me to take mama to take care of you? Yeah, baby, I need mama to take care of me. I need some. Special food. Preach, preacher. <laughs> Don't we come to church like that sometimes? You know, anytime I've ever gotten sick like that, I ain't never heard her say to me, get away from me. That's right. She said, you want me to get you something? What can I do to make you more comfortable? Amen. She knows I ain't really sick. <laughs> and half of you ain't either half the time. Right. But you know, sometimes people come in and they need a little special attention. Where you want them to go to find it? Go down the road? I don't. Want them to chase some false doctrine? I don't. I want them to come right here. Amen. What do you do? I'll get them a blanket and a pillar and a cinnamon roll. 
Just rest a while. Now, folks, I'm, I'm talking about you're ministering to other people. You're preaching a sermon. When people come to you, God gives you an opportunity. When people are busted and broken and browbeaten and they come down to you and they say, can you give me a little help? You know what you say? Sure. That's real preaching. You don't even have to say anything. But if you learn to be that way with each other, that's how Jesus is. And if you learn to be like that, that place won't be big enough. Because whether you like it or not, people are looking for attention. And there's nothing wrong with desiring the right attention. Father, bless.